Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill, and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. Today, I have two guests, Dan McClure and Jennifer Wilde. Dan McClure and Jennifer Wilde are choreographers of change. Jenny is a managing director at Innovation Ecosystem, an organization that offers practical tools and support to deliver a step change in innovation effectiveness. She met her business partner, Dan, when she was invited by the UN to speak at Berkeley about the innovation lab that she set up in the middle of the earthquake response in Nepal. Today, as a founding partner of Innovation Ecosystem, Dan, sometimes referred to as the grandfather of product innovation, is a specialist in disruption right at the cutting edge of innovation. After working with Fortune 500 companies, governments, and some of the world's largest nonprofits and philanthropists, Jenny and Dan are looking to share some of their insights into how all types of businesses need to think outside the box to solve problems. Hey, guys, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having us. Yep. Great to be here. Great. We'll always defer to you, Jenny, to go first if I do something like that. So (laughs) I know, I know it's a chivalry. I'm sorry, but uh, uh, call me old fashioned. Nobody's called me that. So it'll be a first. Um, Hey, this is a really interesting subject because a lot of small businesses don't think that innovation applies to them. I think they think it's like a, maybe a luxury that, you know, you could, you, you, you don't have, unless they think like entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are always thinking about disruption, innovation, and, and doing things a little bit better. So let's, let's riff on that. Dan, I'm going to turn the mic over to you first. What are your thoughts on innovation and disruption just in with small, small businesses first? Well, I think it's really useful to make a distinction between different types of innovation. So when you're thinking about what a business might do to make change that improves things, I mean, that's the the root of what innovation is, right? It's a change that you think is going to make your world better somehow. Mm -hmm. A lot of innovation opportunities that businesses focus on are really smaller incremental things that 
improve their efficiency or improve their bottom line by one or two percent. Um, so, for example, let's say you owned a operation that had a lot of trucks or that had you know equipment that you were running. You would expect over the next few years that there's going to be a move from like gas powered vehicles into electric vehicles, and that's going to give you you know benefits around you know bottom line as you stop having to pay for gas. But it's also, you know, potentially going to give you something that you could market with. And it's not going to fundamentally change your business. It's going to be an incremental change. So and, let's talk about that, if I might just yeah, break that yeah, down yeah. a little bit. So and, and Jenny, get your input here, too, which is so um, a lot of companies um, that are in the construction trades are facing this right now. They've got a fleet of vehicles. Maybe they do maintenance of of properties and they've got gas powered vehicles. And so I think one of the questions becomes, do I become a leader in this? Um, do I become a middle, like, do I adopt, like, am I an early adopter, a leader? Do I follow the majority and, you know, or am I a late, a late comer to the scene in moving towards electric or battery operated? And, and so let's maybe if we could talk about what are the different, um, personas of a company or a personality, you know, like what's some of the thinking that goes behind that, whether I should be a, an early adopter, uh, you know, follow the majority or, or, or be a laggard. Yeah, I think I'm going to jump in real quick and then throw it over to Jen. The big difference here is whether or not you're making small incremental innovations or big disruptive changes to your business. If you're making those small incremental changes, whether you're a leader or lagger isn't quite so much an issue. It's in those situations, you're really just saying, how quickly are you going to get in front of this opportunity? When you're dealing with disruption, oftentimes the difference between being the first mover and the third mover is the difference of whether you survive or not. Jen, do you I want think, to jump in on that? I, I think that's a good point, by the way. I've always found that like being number two makes a lot of sense, meaning be, not be the first person, a pioneer. Uh, you know, pioneers are trailblazers and they they get recognized, but they oftentimes will, their legacy will be just that of, uh, you know, this is the person who blazed the trail. But the people who really probably profit is the people who follow the pioneers. Um, they're not the initial leaders, but they recognize the, they see the mistakes the leaders, pioneers made, and then they become real leaders in the field. Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. So um, I would almost tip that on its head and say there are some people who are trailblazers who can create an innovation, a product, a thing, and they try it out, but they haven't really thought it through. They haven't worked out how to do this within their current business, within the kind of um, market that they're in, within, you know, across their business. But they're just kind of, let's just throw something in and, and see how it goes. And then there are also trailblazers who really construct, you know, what I'd call a system, who kind of say, okay, I'm going to think about, and you know, what comes to mind, I'm just reading a, a book about Thomas Edison and he was like, 
the 17th guy or something like that to patent the light bulb. But where he was successful is he said, um, I have a light bulb and then here's an electrical system that goes along with that. Here's kind of the wires, here's what it connects to, here's how it works. Or you look at a, and I am talking about big things here, but an Elon Musk who didn't come up with the electric car, but when he when he created or, or made his electric cars, he said, and there's going to be roads and power stations and batteries that will go alongside that. And I think you can um, create that at a small level and you can say, well, I've got this great new product and I'm going to throw it in a business and see how it goes. Or you can say, um, and so how are the, you know, how are the suppliers of my business going to work with this? Is this new way of working relevant to my current customers or is this relevant to new customers? How are my staff going to be able to implement this new way of working? And so I, rather than saying kind of trailblazers or, or laggards, I would rather say where I've seen people really succeed increase their um, value impact business bottom line significantly are where they've created the system within their business to do something really different. And I think that pushes past the kind of incremental, um, you know, will I, will I move to a solar powered lawnmower or not? Well, you know, eventually perhaps we'll all move to solar powered lawnmowers. So it's really, there's a question of just when, um, but when you have kind of a new service that you're bringing into the business or maybe a new market or customer base you're playing with, then thinking about how am I not just doing one thing, but how am I thinking about my whole business, how my whole business shifts there. And I think that's where you don't become a, a trailblazing failure, but where you can take great leaps forward in front of the people behind you. So do you think that it's uh, a necessary skill that small, medium-sized, family-owned businesses need to develop? To Do they need to, like, develop their innovation skills? Is it a skill? Is it like leadership or sales that can be learned? And And is it something that they should be working on because – businesses, you know, always changing and there's growth and we're, there's some threat at, at any one time that you need or in the future. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I would say yes and yes. And thank <laughs> you very much. It's been good to talk with you. Um, no. So yes, <laughs> there is a real need to respect the need for innovation and that's at both levels. You need to, you will increasingly find competitors making improvements in their operations. And so you need those small stepwise innovations just to keep up. So that's, I think, a relatively straightforward skill in some ways because you're just scanning the horizon and adding in the new things that are proven to be best practices. The more challenging skill, but equally urgent, is when you face a disruption in your market. And this is something that small and medium-sized businesses are often particularly vulnerable to because they don't have multiple product lines. They don't have multiple areas where they're working. And so if the thing they're doing is disrupted, they're often 
you know, deeply affected and um, they need to make massive changes to the way they approach work. Where, where are you seeing, uh, let's talk uh, openly about, you know, the three of us, where are you seeing disruption happening? Um, and uh, obviously technology is pretty disruptive. Um, climate change is disruptive, right? Uh, uh, inflation is disruptive. Where are you seeing, like, those are a few things that I see. Where are you seeing disruptions happening that are major and, and also minor? I think all of those uh, things you just mentioned, Jonathan, are completely relevant. Um, so you could talk about specifically emerging tech, AI, uh, crypto, blockchain, um, energy technology, you know, there's there's a kind of spate of technology, robotics, which is set to emerge and mature this decade. And so, I mean, over the headlines of major um, news networks and, um, and companies, they're talking about the 2020s being the roaring 2020s, which significantly shifts things like in the third industrial revolution with computers, like with the steam engine, this kind of significant shift in business, which is set to disrupt, um, many industries. So I think there is there is that kind of tech disruption, which is certainly starting to touch a range of industries. There's Can I just ask you also, by the way, the roaring 20s, which is very interesting because we're in the 20s right now and the 20s that happened 100 years ago were right after an epidemic, a pandemic. Mm. Is there any... Mm. Is there any correlation there or is that just coincidence or, or causation? Can I answer And Jen, hold so, that thought so we can come back to what you were saying, by the way. So I had not actually thought of this, but it's so exciting um, as an idea. This, mm -hmm. you know, why would a pandemic precede like a roaring 2020s? And, you know, it wasn't just a pandemic. It was a major world war lots of disruption. Mm -hmm. And I think it's maybe overstating things to say pandemics create, you know, these boom times. Mm -hmm. But I think the intersection of new technologies, new capabilities with a disruption that breaks old systems is really, it's like the perfect storm for creating new ways of working, new ways of doing things. Yeah. You know, one of our favorite pandemic statistics was in the first six to six months of the pandemic, the use of telehealth, you know, remote digital health increased by 16,000%. So we broke the systems essentially that locked you into going to a doctor's office, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, boom, the flood is, is loose. And there's just going to be so many other industries that are going to see that same kind of we broke things because of the pandemic and they're not going to go back to the way they were. They're going to break. They're going to form new new ways of doing things. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think medicine was an industry that really needed to be fixed because it's so broken in so many levels. Um, and I mean, the fact that I've been able to coach remotely using Zoom or the equivalent for I'm going on, I don't even know how many years, a decade now of doing this. Um, when I realized that 
windshield time was wasted time and driving to a client to go meet them for or flying to them for like, I mean, such a waste. I mean, trade shows have become starting to become a little bit obsolete. Um, people like the networking, but they don't necessarily need to get there to show their product. So, yeah. All right, Jen, I don't even know if you remember what you were talking about a few minutes ago, but that was good stuff. <laughs> I can riff off this. <laughs> so I, I think there are these big disruptive forces, a pandemic, remote pushes remote work, for example, mm-hmm. you know, um, tech pushes different ways of working. But I think there are smaller disruptions which are consistently shaping industries. So some examples are pharmacists today in the U.S., are facing a disruption, having to change their business models because Amazon has moved into that space Mm. or gyms, gymnasiums, you know, with the kind of, I don't know what's relevant in your location, but F45 or some kind of new gym is changing the way that gyms needed to function. Some of that is business model. Some of that is kind of opening hours. Some of that is marketing. Um, There's more obvious ones like taxi cabs or, um, or, or tech ones like, um, uh, cameras. But I think there are, there are consistent disruptions going on. And this is where if you, you are either the disruptor or the disrupted, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so how do you say, I'm not just going to slightly improve my business. I'm not just going to think about, you know, the waitress at my restaurant. We need a new waitress or we need a new server. Um, But I'm going to think about how do I shift and improve, change multiple things so that we can create larger new value, so that we can disrupt other companies, so that we can create something different so we don't ourselves become obsolete, disrupted. And I think there's a, there's kind of two ways we often see this in small businesses, small, medium businesses. One is either the business has been losing market share for, you know, two quarters, three quarters, two years, however long that is. And so there's a really clear understanding something more significant needs to shift. It's no Mm -hmm. longer incremental. Or um, you have somebody who is really, um, really excited about change, really wants to make change. And in a similar way, that person has the drive and passion to create something new. And so they're the kind of people, if you're comfortable in your business at the moment, they're the kind of people that you're working against, if you will, you know, people who are going to be working X number of hours every week who are going to be thinking, how can I significantly change, improve, increase? I need to, I need to change where I am. So, so yeah, no one's really ever comfortable. That's the right. kind of world we live in, small, medium, large businesses. So one of the things we talk about in my business is that if you're uh, running a business, you or your frontline people, meaning your sales and marketing people, or account executives, need to get out in front of your customers and really get belly to belly with them a little bit or maybe zoom to zoom, whatever the, you know, and find out like, you know, how are they doing and what's going on in your industry? And, uh, and what do you hear about our industry and our competitors and how are we doing? I mean, those are pretty basic fundamental questions to get some feedback, but like, I think if, if we're going to get involved in 
being the disruptor rather than the disrupted, we have to go get close to our customers and find out what their pain points, their frustrations are, you know, what they like about what we're doing, what they think we could be doing better, what other people are doing better, what they're seeing. I mean, um, how else do we go about finding out what, uh, you know, what we like, what questions to be asking to know what we need to improve upon? Dan? And I think this is a case of the basic principle is right. You do need to get out there. You do need to be finding out what's happening in the world. Um, the shift here is if you've got an established business and you're continuing to try to improve and track, you know, shifts in customer needs, you can just talk to your customers or you can maybe talk to the customer, the guy who's doing the same business as you in a disrupted opportunity. You really need to be looking even broader than that. So maybe not just your customers, who they are today, but also who else might be participating in this entire space that you never even thought of as a business partner or a business customer or a business supplier and begin to see a bigger picture. And with that bigger picture, then you can start thinking about where there might be opportunities that are really quite different from where you're at right now. Now, if you're continuing to talk to just your customer, um, Clayton Christensen in his classic sort of innovators dilemma book said one of the most dangerous things you can do is talk to your best customer because your best customer will tell you to don't change at all. You know, I really like what you're doing. And so you need to really blow up how far you're looking at things and look at much more, many more types of opportunities that you never thought of as your business. So we need to be thinking like Elon Musk. What would Elon Musk do? What would he think? How, what would he, you know, is that the mindset that we need to adapt? Is, uh, is uh, you know, people like this who are, you know, disruptive? I'm laughing because Jenny, Jenny is such an Elon Musk fanboy here. Yeah. Jenny, you're muted. We Jenny, you're, you. you're muted. We're not hearing you. Sorry. You don't need to go into space. <laughs> but I am an Elon Musk fanboy. Um, let me give you, I was just um, chatting to a, a guy. I'm in Antigua at the moment on holidays. And, um, and we took a boat trip and it was really lovely. And there was two guys um, leading this boat trip. One of them came out of New York. One of them um, kind of grew up here, both Antiguan. And um, one of them, the, the, the one that grew up here, was talking about the market here and he was talking about, you know, how he's had his boat for a long time and he's got a, a, an amazing number of kids, actually, something like 15 kids. I was like, good work. Um, and he's got a really good business and it supports the 15 kids, so it's making a bit of money. And uh, and he said, you know, I just want to do this for the next 10 years and, and then I'll be done. And the guy from New York, who's also, uh, who was born in Antigua, was saying he'd been looking at the way that um, different kind of holiday boat companies worked around the US 
and around the Caribbean. And he was now opening up a, um, a boat company across three countries. And he's, you know, putting together a new kind of business model, putting together new kind of marketing, using um, a whole lot of local resources to push this forward. And I think, you know, you can think like Elon Musk if you want. You know, you can think about how to change the market entirely. And if you do, good on you. I'm an Elon Musk fanboy. I love it. Changing the world's a great thing to do. But you don't, you know, it's just showing you the difference between somebody who has is thinking differently, you know, a, a competitor who you're working with who is thinking very differently and already saying, I can create something big and scalable by shifting this business model and I'm doing it right now. And so I think rather than perhaps saying think like Elon Musk for those who um, are less excited, saying how do I step back from my business and see all of the different parts of the business and say what what can I shift? What's, what can I make look different? What is it around not just that new waitress but maybe it's kind of, you know, there might be a better takeaway strategy and alongside that, you know, different kind of delivery methods and alongside that different kinds of foods for the kind of customers that would do that and bang, you're trying um, testing a whole new version of your business that could be incredibly successful. So I think it's about really kind of stepping back and seeing the whole business. Thinking yeah, it's, about it's it. not easy to think in terms of a tool or a, um, a roadmap for a set of tools to around innovation. Um, I mean, you know, I could give you like the the Twitter version of uh, disruption innovation thinking it's, you know, how do I do it faster, cheaper, better? But like that's so simplistic. And then the other extreme is Elon Musk, who's so grandiose that probably most people including myself, think, well, you have to be a billionaire to be able to think like that big first. But he started thinking big. Dan, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, to Jen's point, one of the things that's really great about right now is that you can think with a degree of complexity at any scale. So you can be the guy who is imagining a new way to do boat services, you know, or you can be Elon Musk and you're going to reinvent the entire, you know, global industry and everything kind of thing. But it's really quite possible now for smaller businesses to bat above their weight or punch above their weight. Let me get my metaphor right. To punch above their weight because you can combine together pieces so easily. One of the things, you know, just coming out of our own professional experience for Jen and myself Every project that we bid on now has an international team. Mm. We don't have like a group of people sitting in an office. You know, we're picking somebody up from Africa and then we're bringing somebody in from Europe and then somebody from South America. And that's not because we've got some super sophisticated, you know, like superhero kind of thing. We're just able to leverage all the tools that are available right now to bring together pieces to solve problems. And that's really going to be increasingly available to all kinds of businesses. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite quotes 
comes from Buckminster Fuller. And uh, sometimes I mess this quote up, but, you know, the, the quote basically is, you know, you can't change a person's thinking. You can only give them, you know, a tool, the use of which will change their thinking. And so that notion makes me think that I'm very hot or pop uh, or um, big on giving people tools, the use of which changes their thinking. You know, an example of which, and this is a very simple example that everyone's familiar with, which is practicing the 80-20 principle. Figure out, you know, what are the vital few things that are the 20% of stuff that you should be working on that give you the 80% uh, results that you're looking for? And what's the 80% of stuff that you spend a lot of time doing, which is the trivial many, that you need to delegate, let go of, so you can elevate yourself to work on your vital few? Um, super important tool. It's a silver bullet tool for me as a coach and probably for any coach in helping someone to elevate themselves as a leader in, in a business. Um, so I'll ask you, you know, what are some of the elements or of an innovation tool or disruption tool? Do you, do you have one that, you know, you make available or is there one that just has certain important questions that people need to ask or, uh, you know, a process people need to go through. Can you, can you give us something that's simple and practical and a takeaway? Yeah, I think as a starter, maybe something to sit alongside the 80, 20 rule, because we actually spend our fair amount of our time challenging the 80, 20 rule mm -hmm. is see the bigger picture. You know, whether that's within your own business or in the opportunities around you, but deliberately take steps back and see bigger pictures of what the opportunities and challenges are and getting in, getting into that habit of stepping back and seeing the bigger picture then enables a whole lot of additional new types of thinking. So I like that. So let's just flesh that out a little bit. The really simplistic See the bigger picture, um, I think, came from uh, maybe Boston Consulting Group probably two or three decades ago where they said, OK, you're you're serving an existing market with an existing product. You know, what are the opportunities that are available to you? You could go into a new market with your same set of products. And so that's typically a new geographic market. But today it could be, you know, moving from doing strictly like uh, retail to e-commerce uh, or what have you, or wholesale to e-commerce. Um, the other thing uh, option would be to take your existing market and existing product and then come up with new products to go into your existing market. So I believe this was developed by Boston Consulting Group. It's a fairly simple two by two, um, which basically says if you go across the diagonal, if you go from existing products and existing markets into new products and new markets, you know, that's destined to have the greatest likelihood of failure. Yeah. Um, and so that's a simple way of, you know. Yeah, uh, and we would actually say that's where the greatest likelihood of opportunity sits. Yes. Um, and so, you know, greatest risk too. So now they have to think about, so I like the concept of thinking bigger. So e practically you can start to ask by what new markets, what new products, what new, what new services. 
practically going out and talking to your customers and and um, other your competitors, customers and people who are not customers. They're buying substitute products or, you know, or they're the future customers potentially and and interviewing them um, and asking them these types of questions. And then I guess just sitting, you know, like the like we do core purpose discovery, use the Toyota method of five whys. Like keep asking, like, like why is this important? Why does this matter? And um, how could it be bigger? How could it be better? How could it be more efficient? Um, I this type of catalytic thinking is is so challenging to to family businesses and small businesses to do. They just don't do it enough. I don't think. I think there's a couple of things here. Um, one of them is it's, it's challenging if you don't do it, if you do do it, there is a mine of opportunity and it can be incredibly freeing because if you're, if you're looking at the, the very direct small part of your business, you've got all kinds of barriers, which are insurmountable. Can't get this loan. You know, the bank won't give it to me. What other options do I have? I can't, you know, um, hire another employer, another department of employees. I can't, I don't have a marketing budget, whatever that is. I can't move forward. I can't, there's so many barriers in a small medium. Whereas if you step out and look at the bigger picture, you can start to move around some of those barriers and say, well, do I really need to do this loan or is there another way to look at it? This idea of um, standing on the balcony, looking over at your business and saying, what does this look like? What needs to change? How do I move pieces around people, parts, services, et cetera? And then going down onto the dance floor, which would include talking to customers and doing a bit of a boogie and, 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 and then looking into the operational picture. And often we'll say, you know, are you spending enough time up on the balcony? Or for some people, are you spending enough time down on the dance floor? You know, so just so this idea that as a leader you need to be doing both, um, I think is a really useful principle. The other piece we talk about, which um, or the other tool we talk about, is actually just drawing a picture of your business. What are all of the parts of your business? So I'm going to expand on this restaurant metaphor that I've been playing with. But, you know, you have the servers and the servers take the customers to their table and then you've got, you know, some an ordering software and you've got cooks and you start to expand out and you see the suppliers and the producers and, um, you know, the takeaway um, software or delivery mechanisms, et cetera, and you expand out and expand out and you expand out. And so if you just spoke to a customer, a customer might say, you know what, I just, I'd really like some better butter. You know, the butter's not very good. If you had better butter, that would make me happy. Cool. Get some better butter. Go do that. But then if you looked at what, if you looked at your whole business, you might be going towards that. The butter doesn't matter because that's not the market I'm in. That's not the game I'm playing right now. What matters is that in a COVID world, people are going through, you know, this is an example, going to restaurants less. I need to focus on marketing my delivery options. Mm -hmm. I need to come up with different hours for my um, cooks so that we're supporting um, some of our current customers who are stuck at home and sick and, and isolating. And there are some really great examples of um, 
you know, five-star restaurants who are now doing deliveries and have like quadrupled their profits or, you know, things that they said they would never do but have said actually in this world and the way people are ordering at the moment, there is a huge amount of opportunity with new customers in new, (laughs) you know, in a new type Mm. of service Mm. and that's being underserved. And so I think when you start to draw physically draw that picture and the connections between the different actors and what they do, you see much more than just getting a better butter and that create an Uber, you know, that's where you say I'm not making a better taxi cab company. I'm using these underutilized assets and this is going global or an Airbnb or uh, um, Elon Musk's, 14 disruptive companies <laughs> or, 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 you know, whatever's in your local town, the better schooling system, the better construction method, the whatever that might look like. Um, so balcony to the dance floor, draw a picture of your business. I love that. So this really adds some color to chapters four and five of my book, uh, where I talk about products and product positioning and, um, People have often asked me, like, so is being a disruptive successor a good thing in a family business? Like, you know, especially the the the, the parent might say, I don't really want a disruptive successor. I, I want someone who's going to be a successful successor. Um, but I think that, you know, in chapter four and five, I, I, I raised some of these questions about products and product positioning and about how to rethink your products and services and You've just added a lot of color and, and flavor to it. So I so appreciate it. I like that exercise of, you know, getting out on the balcony and looking on the dance floor. And um, this has been a really interesting conversation. And good fun. Great. Always. All right. So um, tell us a couple of things. One is uh, what are you guys working on right now that you're excited about or that you'd like to share or maybe a recent case study and, and how also will people, um, how do people find you if they want to learn more about uh, your work and how your work might help them? Yeah, so at the moment we are also working on a book, <laughs> which will be very useful, on um, on tools and methods for innovation. So that will be delivered early next year, mm-hmm. um, published early next year. Um, go to our website, innovationecosystem.com. You can have a look at tools there. You know, when you asked about questions, we've got a kind of free tool about nine questions you want to ask yourself when you're doing something new or a, um, how do I put together a bit of a story about um, what I want to do, which is new so that I can sell it to maybe it's my dad, maybe it's the bank, <laughs> maybe it's an investor. Um, so right. there's a couple of um, free tools there that are, are really useful. You can find us on Twitter, I-N-N-O underscore ecosystem. Um, yeah, just reach out to us, tell us your problems. We love playing with new solutions and challenges and, and everything else. All right. I think this is great. This was an innovation ecosystem uh, half hour hour with you guys. And, you know, I know you guys are working at some pretty big levels, um, changing governments, changing policies. So I tried to bring it down to small and family owned businesses. But folks, if you're listening out there and and you want to challenge the government on 
how they are uh, doing something that affects your industry, your business. I mean, get involved with your with your statewide association or national association and and uh, make your voices heard because it's really important. Innovation and disruption, such an important subject. Dan, any final thoughts you'd like to share? I think the thing to do is to get to love innovation and get to love disruption. This is not something that after the pandemic's over, we're going to be back to normal and everything's going to settle down. As Jenny says, we're in the roaring 2020s and it's going to be a real adventure ride for the next few years. So, you know, put your arms around this big change and, and hug it tight. Sounds great. Hey guys, thanks for so much uh, for being on the show today. Um, folks, if you're not innovating, if you're not disrupting in your business, you, you know, it's either grow or die is basically, I think the message here. If you are thinking about innovating and disrupting and you want to have a conversation, reach out to one of us to talk with us about how we might be able to help you because it's so important to the growth of business. Thanks so much for another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.